Welcome to the Crescent Podcast. I'm Leanne. This podcast is an extension of my personal philosophy and commitment to continual growth in all areas of life. I firmly believe that optimal health comes from addressing all areas of us as human beings, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Through expert interviews, I hope to both inspire and enable you to create sustained change in your own life. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy. Oh, I just can't wait to get into today's episode with my sweet, sweet friend, Diana Mendoza. Before I share a little bit more about her, though, I want to share some updates for the Crescent, for the Crescent podcast. And the first is that I am starting a new segment called Client Conversations on the podcast. And this is exactly what it sounds like. It's me having a more long-form conversation with clients where they get to share their experience doing Evox with me, how it's helped them, what life looked like before doing Evox, the main issues or patterns that they felt stuck in and how Evox helped them break free from those. I am such a long-form content type person. And so I love being able to have long conversations and also listen to long conversations about things I'm interested in. But I also think these client conversation episodes are going to be so great for any of you who are thinking about Evox, you're starting to hear more about it and you're getting curious, but you're still not totally sure how it can actually help you, what that might really look like. And so I hope my hope is that these client conversations make it much more tangible for you guys to be able to see how Evox is changing the lives of my clients and how it might potentially be able to help you. So the first client conversations episode went up last Friday. It's episode 106. I'll link it in the show notes as well, just in case you need help finding it. And my hope is that I'll be able to release those every now and then so that you guys can just listen to a really long form testimonial from real life clients of mine. The next update that I wanted to share is that coming soon to the Crescent are going to be Evox memberships. And there's gonna be two memberships available. The first is kind of the Evox solo plan which is for $89 a month, you'll get one returning client Evox session. They do roll over. So any unused Evox sessions will roll over to the next month. Clients can cancel anytime. And then I'll also be launching an Evox family plan, which is $178 a month for two returning client Evox sessions. But what I'm excited about with the family plan is anyone in your household will be able to use, have access to that plan. So if one month, you know, you as mom are feeling like you need some Evox, you can use it. The next month, maybe you want your son to do some Evox. The next month, maybe you do one Evox, your husband takes the other one. My hope is that both of these memberships will make doing Evox consistently much more accessible for all of my returning clients. So stay tuned. I don't have a release date yet, but it's coming very, very soon. I can't wait to launch that. Okay, so on to today's episode with Diana Mendoza. You guys will hear in the intro that her and I have been good friends for maybe a year and a half now. We met through the small business 
female entrepreneur world and have gotten closer and closer as the months have gone by. And I've actually wanted to have her on the podcast for quite some time now. And then this month being October, I think the stars just aligned where we both were kind of like, you know what, it might be really uplifting, encouraging for people to hear her breast cancer story, having gone through breast cancer twice. But we wanted this to cover topics that maybe aren't talked about so much in mainstream breast cancer conversations. And so today we're focusing more on life in remission and how isolating that can feel, how lonely that can feel, how oftentimes friends and family move on and kind of life goes back to normal, quote unquote, so quickly. But you as the cancer survivor, and in this case, the breast cancer survivor, are kind of left sometimes in a state of PTSD, of feeling just in chronic fight or flight, of feeling in such a state of hypervigilance about your health. But also she ta- we talk a lot about survivor's guilt and how that has over the years kept her really small and kept her from pursuing some of her bigger dreams. And I just love that she shares in this conversation the modalities, the books, and some of the resources that she used to be able to break free from some of that guilt, from some of that hypervigilance. There is truly so much gold in this interview. I know you guys are going to fall in love with Diana, as I have as a dear, dear friend. I can't wait to hear your feedback on this. As always, please reach out to us. Send me an email. It's linked in the show notes or reach out to either myself or Diana through Instagram with a DM, a comment on a post. We'd love to hear from you guys on how this episode was supportive for you, was inspirational for you, was encouraging for you, whatever it may be. Diana has been such a source of inspiration, of clarity for me, of comfort for me over the last year and a half. And on that note, I wanted to share a final announcement before we get into the interview with Diana. And it's that there is another new segment coming to the Crescent podcast on November 1st. And this is going to be a regular segment on the show with Diana and myself. It's going to be us two connecting on a much more organic, fluid level. A lot of my guest interviews tend to be on very, very specific topics, mostly health-related that we're kind of working through, for example, the topic of limes, and we're really trying to explain that topic from A to Z. And I think over these last few months, I have felt such a yearning to have just more casual conversations about things that are on my heart, things that I'm going through and struggling with and needing support on and wanting a more deeper sense of community. And so from that was born this idea of this show or this segment with Diana on the podcast. So listen to episode 108 the very next episode after this, because this is Diana and I talking more about this new segment that is coming soon and what we're excited about. Again, a little bit more of what we're going to be touching on in each episode. I cannot wait. I think this has just been something that I keep. I feel like I have been having such a nudge, an intuitive ping 
to do something like this. And so it really feels like something I'm being called to do right now. And I just am so, so excited, first of all, for me to be able to have these conversations with such a dear friend of mine, but also for all of you to be able to get to tune into conversations like this. And as always, hopefully be inspired and expanded and uplifted. So without further ado, please welcome and please enjoy this interview with Diana. So I feel like this was a long time in coming because we've, well, it feels like we've been friends for years. Yeah. But actually now that just as I'm saying this, I realize that I think it's maybe just been a year, maybe July, July, 2021. Yeah. And I actually think, yeah, I think it's just been over a year. So long time in coming, but Diana, thank you so much for being here. And can you give us a little bit of an introduction just so people kind of get a feel of who this beautiful woman is that they're talking to today? Uh, thank you so much. First of all, I am so honored and you know, you are such a special person in my life. And we met through another friend. And um, But my name is Diana Mendoza and I am the founder and owner of Never Alone Candles. And I am a two-time breast cancer survivor a mother of two children, one who's 22 and one who's 10, a wife um, of 11 years to my husband, Andy, and a sister and a daughter. And yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. And today we have a special announcement that's going to be coming either at the start of this or at the end of this. I'm not sure yet, but for this specific interview, we're gonna be talking about your breast cancer story, which I don't even know that much about. I know kind of like the big picture of it all. So I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. And as we were talking before before this interview, we were just saying, I want it to be something that's touching on what do you feel like isn't talked about enough when it comes to breast cancer. And you said something so poignant. And so I'd love for you to share that now of what is it that isn't being talked about enough, even after all of these years? Yeah. So I've been in this space of breast cancer for 17 years. So my first diagnosis was in 2005 and then 13 years later in 2018. And one of the things that I feel that has not changed since 2005 when I first diagnosed, so we're talking you know, a long time, is the conversation of afterwards, after treatment, after all the doctor's visits, after the surgeries. Um, you know, in the world of conventional medicine, it's like, oh, post-treatment, post-treatment. Well, post-treatment in the eyes of an oncologist is just, you know, meds or come back in six months, scans. But what no one really wants to huddle in and talk about is your emotional stability, emotional well-being of after the fact. Mm-hmm. After you've beaten it, basically. After you have been what they would call in remission, right? Mm-hmm. No one says cure. Mm-hmm. Um, those words are kind of not really said a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
but it's this, yes, it's like afterwards, um, after you've been in remission, Mm -hmm. really. So just so for the listener, can you share a little bit of your diagnosis? Yep. Yeah. So in 2005, um, I was 27 years old and... It's crazy. I'm 27 right now. That's so crazy to think about. It was wild. No family history. I did not test um, um, positive for the BRCA, so I'm negative on the genetics. Um, The story really started as I went to to have a mammogram because I found the tumor. But in that moment, when I did the mammogram and an ultrasound, they responded back to me with, it's benign and it's a fibroadenoma. But I knew... And my gut feeling something else is going on. So I requested for a biopsy. They originally denied me a biopsy. And I fought for that biopsy. And everyone kept saying it's going to be negative. And I was like, no, something is wrong. Something is wrong. And, you know, lo and behold, it comes out to be positive. So my cancer was um, estrogen positive, um, stage two, no lymph nodes positive at that moment. And I did a bilateral mastectomy, six rounds of chemotherapy, um, Mm -hmm. no radiation at that time. And then my, and then I went on five years of tamoxifen. Okay. And for the listeners out there, I ended my tamoxifen a little bit earlier and I got pregnant with my second child, Mia, and which... You know, I was told the possibilities of ever getting pregnant were slim to none. Mm. But I did. And, you know, we've had her and, and, you know. And then fast forward to 2018. So I was in remission for 13 years. And after 10 years, they let you go. The oncology is like, see ya. Uh-huh. <laughs> so We're not checking up on you anymore. No, no. You don't oh, have to do wow. CT scans anymore. You were young, whatever. But it's okay. You're out 10 years. But I did, that did not sit well. So I continued on with my yearly. And on that 13th year, I went in for my MRI because you couldn't do, I couldn't do mammograms anymore. Once you have a bilateral mastectomy, it's typical that you just have scans, Mm -hmm. MRIs really. And I had the MRI and they found the tumor in my chest wall. Wow. And when they tested the tumor, the pathology came out that it was the original cancer, which in theory is good. Okay. Okay. Because then you know what you're dealing with. It was a cell left behind. So when they say, oh, you had a bilateral mastectomy, you know, no one can guarantee that they're getting everything. Yeah. Yeah. So a cell was left behind. And... Since it was the same cancer, they knew how to treat it the same. We're going to treat it the same way we did before. We know it's estrogen positive. So then I went back into, I did four rounds of chemo, but then I did 41 rounds of radiation. Oh my gosh. And in those 41 rounds, five were this new technology called CyberKnife. And because it was in my chest wall, I qualified for CyberKnife, which is typically used for lung cancer. But CyberKnife is like the most localized radiation. It's actually surgery, mm-hmm. but with laser. Okay. Okay. Um, and 
But before I did the radiation, after the four rounds of chemo, they could not find the tumor anymore. Oh, wow. So okay. the idea of doing the chemo the first time around, or, you know, in 2018, to get it in my chest wall was to reduce the size of the tumor so that they can go in and surgically remove it. Okay. But that consisted of major, major surgery of like breaking my ribs, putting a plate in, and then trying to get, because it was in between my ribs one and two. Oh my so like, gosh. You know. But when it would, it literally was gone. Like I have CT scan, PET scan, and an MRI. They could not find it anymore. So I opted to do the radiation because I had never done it before. And it, you know, radiation is so localized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say to the listeners, I did do a lot of non-conventional, you know. Um, modalities. Modalities, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, that really helped me get through it again. But it was the second time and I was older. And so your body needs more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the technicalities of it. And so now I am, I've been in remission for four years again, um, doing well. I am on um, an aromatase inhibitor and a Lupron at the moment, but I will be done with that next year. So let's get into life after life in remission, I think is maybe what we can call it. Life in remission. Yeah. Those first 13 years in remission and then these last four years in remission. What has that looked like for you? And one of the things we talked about is it could be different for everyone. There's going to be a group of people that has felt this way in remission, a group of people that has felt a different way. We're just speaking, you're just speaking to your experience and what you've gone through, what has helped you, what you've struggled with. And I think that's going to be so expansive for others to hear that story. Yeah. You know, the first time I was young, I was 27. I was a single mom and it literally rocked my world. But I also knew that it was, of course, like, like anyone says who's been through this, it changes perspective in life, for sure. Like it does change your perspective. But I was also really young and naive and stuff. So I really had to dig deep and and start to do that self-help. And so I threw myself into therapy. And in the, in the beginning, it was therapy of the fear of dying. Mm-hmm. And when you're done with treatments... And your doctor says, I'll see you in six months. And literally says, see ya. And you have to go back to what is what you would consider normal life. And all your family and friends are like, "Woo, she's done. Let's just move on. The patient, the survivor, it is very difficult to move forward. Because at the back of your head, you're always still thinking, is this coming back? Yeah. Is my next scan going to be clear? Uh, So what do I do? What do I do now? Do I go live my life to the fullest and never think about this again? Which, by the way, the whole denial thing, I'm here for it half the time because I don't want to remember what I've been through. So for me as a single woman, and for a young woman, it's very different than someone 
having cancer at 65, 70 years old. Mm-hmm. And there's no, and I'm that, and, and I'm not trying to dismiss the older woman who has had cancer, but at 27, you have removed a very big feminine part of your body. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the psychological effects with that. And then also to, if you're dating or if you're newly married or, you know, single, there is this emotional fear that you will not be accepted with this new body, mm-hmm. new breasts, because I had I had reconstruction. And will that person accept this past? Mm-hmm. Because you have to say, hey, I just survived cancer and, you know, it may come back one day. Yeah. <laughs> is that a boat you want to get on? Is that a boat you want to get on? And so I had to go through that dating process and it was wild. And yes, there were, there were men who, nope, not dealing with you. Oh, wow. You know, and so you have that psychological and emotional fear all the time. Mm-hmm. So I had to go through a lot of therapy with that to feel my feminine part again, to feel my like sexiness again, to know that I'm worthy of love. That was really big for me. Wow. And I have to say that is not one I've heard before of, am I going to be accepted because of this surgery, because of this change? Almost, almost as if it's like a moral deficit you have. 100%. 100%. And you know, the worth, the worthy of being loved was really big for me the first five years of being cancer free and being such a young woman. And during the interim, I ended up landing an extremely um, amazing job. And that helped me get through some of the, I guess, the, the trauma of what I had been through, but it didn't take away from the worthy and the acceptance mm-hmm. that I so much needed, wanted, and was working on through therapy. Mm-hmm. I went to support group a lot. Um, I did find a great support group and I know support group is not for everyone and I completely understand that. Um, if you're able to find a support group that you can fit in. I went to a young women's support group. So everyone was under the age of 40. So we had the same similarities of issues and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and, you know, my our counselor really, really helped us get through of that. You are worthy of all of this, of love, acceptance, um, having a partner, a partner who accepts you just the way you are. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And of course, I did find the love of my life after the fact. But... There was a lot of work of acceptance during that time. Yeah. What was different between the tools you were using that first time around versus the tools that you have had access to the second time around? And maybe even, because that 13 years, that's a long period of time. But I think we were talking about before we started recording, the oncology is kind of like, oh, you need some emotional support, like find a therapist, find a support group. That's really the extent of it. Yeah. So is that kind of what what you felt you had access to or the resources to use that first time around? Yeah, I think the only resources I honestly used was talk therapy and support group and self-help books, right? And of course, 
I am very a huge spiritual person. So I really dove into spirituality and finding what helped me get through my day to day. But there, no one tells you how to get through the years. And I'm talking after year five, they really are like, oh, you're amazing. You're great. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. And, but no one talks about the fact that there is some major PTSD happening. Yes. And this is what I want to get into a little bit because you, it's a trauma, not, not just a physical trauma of having to do radiation and chemotherapy. It is an emotional trauma, or I should say it can be, it doesn't have to be for everyone, Yeah, but for some people that experience can be incredibly traumatizing. And I love that we're talking about this because the way, where my brain goes is if we go through that experience, yes, we've survived, but now we're in this chronic state of hypervigilance and fear and anxiety that isn't doing us any favors. In fact, could be potentially creating more dis-ease that can in down the line lead to disease. Exactly. And you know, I have been living 17 years of fight or flight mode and mm. Fear and anxiety have been at the core of everything. And I always say, I have flipping PTSD of this disease. And even when I was 10 years out, I was still the fear and anxiety. It is really real when women talk about scanxiety, when you have to go get a scan. And it's weeks of anxiety. It is honestly just the 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 anxiety and the fear of getting it back or dying from it, I am not so sure it ever goes away. Um, so I did the talk therapy. I did the, you know, the support group. But after a few years, you're like, I'm, I want to live my life normal. And, you know, it's always in the back of your head. And I did. And I had a child and, you know, all of these things. And then when I got it, when I got the reoccurrence, I have to say that the reoccurrence hit me harder on a, an emotional level than the first time. And you would have thought, oh my gosh, she's been through this. You know, the second time I had a lot more to lose. I had my second daughter. I had my husband. I had a great job, my home, like all of these things. And now I'm facing this once again and having to go back into those treatments. Mm-hmm. But this time around, the second time around, 2018, I, I did see it a little bit differently. Within days, I went back in to do intensive therapy. And what therapy I did was EMDR. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can speak more about that. But EMDR is what literally unlocked the resentment and anger I was still holding on some past situations It also unlocked my ability to tap into some of the fear and anxiety that I knew what I was heading into. Mm -hmm. I knew what it was going to be like. It gave you the strength to sit with those emotions rather than like, these are too big and too heavy. I just need to run away. Yes. It helped you bring those up. One of the things I do want to ask really quick is, because we've talked about this before, how this second time around you did a lot more emotional processing of past experiences not related to the cancer. Yes. Not not directly related to the cancer. And what my question is, is 
was there a resource? Was there a person who was like, hey, there's an emotional component to cancer that you need to look into? Or was it that like gut intuition again that was like, oh, this thing is a thorn in my side that is contributing to this in some way? Yeah, it was definitely no one told me anything. And you know, these doctors don't tell you anything. And it was my gut feeling. I'm like, there's, there is so much more to this than just this Then just like this randomly happened to me. Again. Yes. It was like, I need to now dig and get to the root cause of this because I'm about to enter in once again into a physically debilitating um, part of my life. Again, losing my hair again, you know, I ended up having burned skin and all that. But I was like, I got to dive deep. So I did. I mean, I I mean, there was a lot of reading, but no one tells you anything. I just did it. Mm-hmm. I went and hired someone and I started to unravel the past mm-hmm. and unravel things like you just said, things that were not directly associated with the disease, but I knew I need to get to this because I've been holding on to this for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I started with EMDR I then went into, okay, I did a lot of tapping, which I know you've talked about. Okay, emotional freedom technique, tapping. Emotional Uh freedom technique, wow. That helped me a lot during treatment, okay? After that, I went into breath work, um, quantum hypnosis, and now for the last year, I have only been doing Evox with you. And I love... All of the modalities, every every single one of them has brought me something new and it has unpeeled those layers that I am trying to heal, the the trauma, the PTSD, the, the limiting beliefs, the acceptance, the being dismissed, all of those feelings that have been prevalent in my life in the last 20 years. I'm able to now really have used those but now really focusing on evox because that's what's really helping me at this moment Mm -hmm. in my life yeah i love that you've listed so many of those out just because what what works for one person might not work for another and likewise what was really resonating with you 10 years ago maybe isn't resonating anymore and it doesn't negate how much it helped you in the past it just means you're in a different place. You ne- you're right now needing a little bit of a different modality. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's true. And I think, and I, you know, I honestly believe that everyone should try one of those modalities one time to see if it sits well in their body. If they feel better afterwards, um, even feel better a month later, because a lot of times we use these modalities, and in the moment you may not feel well, but their skills that later on, a month later, when you are in a, you know, in a moment of despair or um, sadness, depression, fear, anxiety, you can tap into those resources and techniques a month, you know, later on. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, it's been, breathwork has been really, really, you know, good for me. But I have to be honest, like where I'm at in this point, Evox has just been that one that has really gotten to the core of some things that that needed to be get oh that makes me so happy i love to hear that and it's always just it's such an honor it's so special for me to be a part of anyone's journey so i'm so grateful i want to go back to this 
hypervigilance that you have been living in both times around. And then I also want to touch on that guilt, but let's first start with this hypervigilance. So how has that manifested for you in your day-to-day life? What does that look like? Does that look like waking up and from the moment your eyes are awake, you're thinking about this or anytime like you've got an ache or a pain, your mind goes to, oh my God, is it cancer? What does that look like on a day-to-day, on a weekly, monthly basis? Yeah, I mean, there are days when you um, wake up and you're like, all is well, I'm okay. And then there are days and days and weeks that you are, if this is back, um, the fear of death, the fear of leaving your loved ones behind, the pains, the bodily pains. I mean, I have pain in my body. Is it there? Has it, you know, has it gone somewhere else? And, and as I said to you before we started recording, it's a total cluster of thoughts that consistently have to be unraveled and sometimes on a daily basis Mm -hmm. sometimes not you know um and some people are really good about just moving past those thoughts I just haven't happened to be that one person so and I look at my children and I look at my husband I look at my life and you know um and so I am but that's my trauma you know that really is my trauma it's like I sit there and I'm like oh my gosh is this next appointment going to be the appointment that says, oh gosh, it's back, you know? And there's a lot of fear. And then of course, that's when I use the modalities I have to use in order to retrain my brain, Mm -hmm. you know? That neuroplasticity that is also needs to be talked about in the world of cancer because we can change the disease in our body by changing the brain cells. And we know that you can create new brain cells in your brain through neuroplastic. We just know that. So sometimes that hypervisions that comes in, it's, okay, Diana, okay. You're feeling sad. You have anxiety. You are feeling fearful. Where is this really coming from? Mm-hmm. And so I have to ask myself those questions. Like, is it coming from because, you know, you have a pain in your body? Well, did you work out? Did you do this? Um, also, too, it's like the stories that come up in my head, I have to ask, did someone really say that? Are those really facts? Mm-hmm. And if they're not facts, I haven't seen a doctor in three months, so why would I think this is, you know? So let's retrain those emotions on a daily basis to, you know, I am committed to feeling better. I'm committed to doing my Evox sessions so that I could continue to tap into the healing of any emotional trauma, or I'm committed to eating healthy so that I don't live with this constant anxiety and fear. Yeah. There's so many things coming up in my mind and The first one is that when we experience something that is traumatizing to us, oftentimes what can happen in the subconscious mind is it's not able, it loses its sense of chronology. We're no longer able to distinguish that that trauma was in the past and it's actually over now. 
I'm thinking specifically with breast cancer, like the chemo, the radiation, all of the scans, all of the treatments, the, the subconscious mind can very truly feel like it's actually still in that dangerous place. And that's what you can, we can do some targeted support around of just like letting the subconscious know that's over any emotions that we weren't able to fully express during that time we can acknowledge and release now. But then the other one is when we experience something that's harmful, painful, dangerous, there's a coupling that happens. And so the subconscious goes, this thing is a threat. It's dangerous. Now, anytime something related to it comes up, we've got to be on high alert. And it's interesting because as you're talking about like, will I ever not have this hypervigilance? My two cents on it would be, I do think you can certainly reduce it significantly by clearing some of that emotional trauma from the actual experience, but cancer is dangerous. It's never not going to be dangerous. And so we don't want to completely get rid of that coupling, Yeah, but we want to get rid of this intense coupling that, oh, this ache in my knee might be cancer. Like, oh, this twinge in my arm might be cancer. (laughs) (laughs) This pain in my elbow, because um, I hit myself instead. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, no, it's it's true. It's it's finding that balance of releasing the past, and when I mean releasing the past, I don't mean forgetting about it, right? Because it's just you just don't ever forget about it. But releasing it where it's not taking a toll on your life on a daily basis, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And because you also need to, and listen, you have to move on and I get it and I'm the number one supporter. Like I'm super positive and I'm like, let's move on. We got to live. Um, but you know, your friends and your family, everyone moves on a lot quicker. Yeah. Than, than you do. Okay, because you have to live with it every single day. You're the one who has to go to the appointments. And this has to, like, even if it's not cancer, if it's something else that you're going through, you know, it could be lonely in this doggy-doggy world of breast cancer, you know? Mm. It's because everyone else has moved on and you're still stuck with these feelings years later sometimes. And I think for someone who is young, of course, when you're young, you're thinking about, oh my gosh, am I going to be here when I even am 40, 50, mm-hmm. 60? You know, I'm 44 now and I'm like, am I going to be here at 50, mm-hmm. 55? Um, and that, that's, you know, that's what I have to work on. And like you said, cancer is dangerous no matter what. It's always going to be there. But I don't need to live in the fight or flight mode on a consistent basis. Right. Or that hypervigilance every single day thinking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing I want to touch on is the guilt that we've talked about. Yeah. And I really want, if you're able to describe how this guilt has limited you in what you felt that you're allowed to pursue and yeah. what you're felt and what you felt that you're allowed to grieve or be sad about and anything else that might be related to yeah, that. Yeah. You know, this topic makes me really emotional. <laughs> um, it's, survivor's guilt and I have been living with survival's guilt for 17 years Mm. because there are many women who don't make it um and I have felt so when I was diagnosed in 2005 
I was working as a media manager, so as a media buyer, but managing. And by the time I was 30, I was president of a media agency making six figures and a cancer survivor. And I was lucky. I met my husband at the time. I was like, then I had a baby after that. And the guilt of surviving and having such an amazing life took a toll on me. And so it limited my dreaming. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. The dreaming of I want more. I deserve more. Because it was, well, Diana, you already beat cancer. So no, no. Who are you to want Who are a you? better job? Who are you yes. to want a better home or a even better relationships? Yes. Whatever it is. Anything. Mm-hmm. Vacation. Who are you to ask for anything else? And that has stuck with me all these years. It got really bad in 2018 because, again, I beat it again. I started to unpeel the other trauma. Mm-hmm. I was still president of this company. But, Diana, you can't dream bigger. Don't even think about changing your career because that's nonsense. You beat cancer again and you want to change your career and or make more money. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I lost two friends in 2018 when I was going through treatment. I lost two friends and they didn't make it to breast cancer to breast cancer they had a, they had a reoccurrence mm-hmm. and theirs you know it was pretty bad and so here I am going through my own journey again and it's like no 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 so I would say in the last two years the biggest work I've done like with you Leanne and you know and my other stuff is trying to unravel the survivor's guilt and the and knowing that I am worthy and deserving of my dreams. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to even like zoom in on that even more because it's kept you small. 100%. When And we're not talking about like, oh, I want like a new, whatever, I'm just making this up, like Gucci bag. No, it's like it's when your soul had yearnings yeah. for more. Yeah. That... And I call them soul yearnings, where it's like you're getting that nudge. You're getting that intuition of, I'm meant to do something more. But then this guilt, which then I think also turned into shame, is how dare you dream big like that? How dare you ask for more? How dare you think you deserve more? And it like quieted those pings of intuition and those nudges. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really quieted the big picture of what I want to live out the rest of my life like and specifically my career um where the limiting beliefs of maybe changing careers or creating something where I could voice my thoughts and opinions and experience it's like how dare you how dare you even think that that's possible for you? Mm-hmm. 
so many other people are suffering in this world who have cancer and are not going to make it, but you have. So you stay small. Mm-hmm. You stay small. Do not, do not go outside of the box. <laughs> yeah. That's how I've been feeling for many, many years. And the guilt is real. Mm-hmm. The guilt is real. I mean, I even see, you know, I mean, people, some people I follow and they're not doing well. Um, and it makes me feel guilty that I have this, I mean, I'm doing well, mm-hmm. doing well at this moment right now. I'm doing really well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm still, I have to say I'm still in the process of yeah working through. I think it actually can be so expansive and inspiring for someone who is in breast cancer or is in your same state to hear and see this woman who beat cancer twice, who has overcome so many things and despite those things has gone on to shine as brightly as she fucking wants to. Yeah. And it talk like we were talking about permission and yes. giving permission. And I think that's in a weird way, not that anyone needs permission, but it's giving other women who feel that guilt, who feel that survivor's guilt permission to go and shine as brightly as they want to as well. Yeah, and you know, it's so funny because like on a date, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so much to give Leanne. Like I feel it and this like makes me emotional too. Oh, it's no. like, I do, like I have so much to give to the world. I have, I have so much to share. And I know that my story is inspiring. Like I know it. And you know, obviously I built Never Alone Candles in the last two years. But there is this yearning desire to create something else, which, you know, we will get to and what I'm going to be creating for 2023. But it's only as of recently that like people like you and people that I'm surrounding myself with that are like, hell yes, Diana, your leadership is needed in the world of breast cancer. People need to hear what you're doing what you did, how you got through it, despite having maybe some fear of starting something differently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm ready for it, but I'm still working through it. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, it's all going to happen, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a daily work for me. Oh, I love it so much though, because coming back to that, like we're stuck in the box It's just the reality of life is when we see that someone else did what we're yearning for, it creates a belief that, oh, that is a reality. Someone can do that. I can maybe do that too. But even to that point of like, it's still a work in progress. I still feel a little bit in that box. Oh yeah. Although I've like torn a couple walls down. (laughs) I'm like one foot in, one foot out. (laughs) Sometimes I, you know, skimmy out and skimmy back in, but that's it. I'm like a little scaredy cat. I'm like, put her paw out and then put it back in. And then I get really brave and I put half my body out. (laughs) So, you know, I think at this point, I mean, I'm like three quarters out. And I think, listen, You know, you cannot expand. You know, and here's the one thing I have learned in the last few years is that fear used wisely can actually create such courage in your life. Hmm. Say more. Okay. So for those of you who are listening, one of my biggest things is 
courage is confidence. So you're like, oh, have confidence in what you're going to do next. Have confidence in this. Well, you can't have confidence without courage. Okay. But with courage comes fear. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you're overcoming something. Because you're overcoming something. So I have been living my life with courage for so many years, but also with that fear consistently there. So what I'm really working on now is just go. Just do it. Be courageous. And take your fear along with it. Mm -hmm. So as I'm three quarters out of that box, that last quarter is just pure fear. (laughs) Yes. Pure fear. Yeah. Yeah. You know that, and but you're not denying it. You're not beating it under the rug. No, you're like I'm looking that fear in the face, and I'm gonna move forward anyways while I continue to look at, process, and release that fear. You're li- listen. The fears you're fucking coming with me because that's <laughs> it. That's at the end of the day you're coming with me. So, but that, but then again, that goes back to the work that I'm doing, like with the e box and with the breath work, and you know, I'm um, taking you know um, certain supplements that help me you know, um, lower my cortisol and my stress level. Um, as you, we talked earlier, allowing other people to help me and, you know, creating that community around so that I can dream and do the things that I've been wanting to do for years, 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 years. I've been wanting to do certain things, but because of survival's guilt, but because I had this incredibly well-paying corporate job, I put myself in this box and like, do not do that. Just don't do that. Mm-hmm. And, but then I look and I'm like, I am the person to talk about some of these things. I have experienced it. You know, it's about if I can help another young woman who is post-treatment live out her life to the fullest, right? Because if I don't do that, I'm really doing this shit disservice. You, oh, I love that you say that because you said something like that to me a few weeks ago yeah. of you're doing a disservice to all the people you could help. Doing a disservice to myself and all these people. Yeah. I really am. Like I, when I really sit down and I'm like in one of those really good moments (laughs) and I'm like power to Diana, I look and I'm like, I am doing my own self a disservice, right? You and I have talked about how healing your wounds, healing your trauma, healing your emotions is the biggest activism you can do and at least that's how I feel right now where as I'm going through this process of healing I'm going to be able to help someone else because isn't that what life is about I'm like I want to pay it forward Mm -hmm. I want to be of service I've always wanted to be of service like consistently be of service and so doing this disservice to myself is doing a disservice to somebody else yeah, and it's that when we have that ping of intuition, when we have that nudge to do something, it's a calling of sorts. And letting fear keep us from that calling is harming ourselves and harming anyone else who could benefit and grow and shine because of you living in your purpose. Yeah, really. And living, yeah, authentically, yeah. Um, with no guilt, no shame, um, and just going for it. Yeah. Yeah. But I love that you're saying like, I'm. it's it's a work in progress. And I love that because I think we've a little bit gone to a place in society where 
we only feel free to talk about something once we fully overcome it. Oh, 100%. One, oh my God, isn't that the truth? Oh my gosh. And I, I do this too, so I, <laughs> I'll own up to it. But it's like, you know, six months later, after I've been working through this issue, I'll be like, oh, it was a hard six months, but here's what I did and I'm yeah. through it now. Yeah. Rather, And by the way, not that there's anything wrong with that. If that's where you're at, that's totally fine. Listen, anyone. I've been there. But it, it takes courage and confidence to say, I'm in the middle of this shit and I don't know where it's going to go. I'm working yeah. through it. I'm half in, I'm half out. <laughs> Here's what's going on, guys. Yeah, no, I, 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 Liz, I'm totally in the thick of this all, of this <laughs> releasing the survival's guilt and creating something that will be out in 2023 that is literally putting my entire self out. Mm. Like all of Diana, the good, the bad, the ugly, the honest truth in order to be of service to others. The thought of it all makes me want to go back into that box. But I'm already three quarters out. And you know what I think about and I've been thinking about lately is how awful it is it to leave this earth and not have done what you wanted to do. This is the only thing I care about in life is, and I think about this so often, being on my deathbed and looking back on my life, thinking like, fuck, I could have done so much Ugh. more. And not not that I could have done so much more just because. I could have let so much more of my soul come through. I could have answered so many more soul yearnings. Yeah. And that's what I've been thinking about lately. It's and that comes back to just being to service of yourself, right? Because we need to start being of service of ourselves and then in turn of others, you know, when when we're when we're ready to fully, you know, go step into our purpose and life. But I that's what it's been on my heart in the last two weeks is. And I think about it all the time now, like on a daily basis. Diana, if this was it, did you do, and it makes me, I'm, I don't know, I'm getting emotional with a podcast. I'm such a crybaby. You know, baby, we're right? all here for, I'm here for this. My God, I'm such a crybaby. We cry in this office all day long. No, I, no tell me about it. Uh, I cry, oh, I cry, a lot of tissues in this, in this, in this room. But I think about Diane, did you do everything that you wanted to do? And, and you're right. And for me, it's not about like, um, did I vacation here? Did I vacation? No, it's, first and foremost, it's always, do my children know I love and believe in them? Mm. That's number one, right? Because you know how I feel about my daughters. Do they know that they are worthy of every dream they possibly have? Does my husband know how much he is literally my life source? Do my parents know how much I appreciate and love them? And then did I pursue those soul yearnings did I do it even if they're not perfect did you do them Mm -hmm. and that is what's keeping me up at night right now Mm. I think though this happens to me so often especially when I'm stepping into something I've never stepped into before or I'm up leveling to a level I've never been before I start thinking like this a lot more because and 
it's so funny and this is the lamest thing ever but i call her my 80 year old guru and it's literally just (laughs) me picturing my 80 year old self and when i'm in these moments of paralyzing fear of i want to do this thing but i'm also scared shitless i'm half in i'm half out and i don't know if i'm gonna bring that other foot out or if i'm gonna like scurry back in yeah I do these meditations where I just pretend that I'm like sitting in this cottage talking with my 80 year old self. And she's like, yeah, that was a hard one. Like, I'm so proud of you, but you know what? Like we did that. We made that decision. Look where it took us. Oh, you handled that so well. Look what you overcame. And it's so weird. But for me, imagining myself at 80 years, looking back at this exact moment and being like, I am so glad I overcame that gets me through it. It helps me get through that and make that decision to face the fear. And that's funny because I haven't thought about my older self. What I have been tapping into is that 27-year-old girl Mm. who had... Who didn't think. She just didn't think, no, I'm never going to go there. Well, because she had just had cancer for the first time and a single mom. I mean, her dreams were squashed Mm. on, on many levels. So now I am I tap into her and be like... Girl, those dreams are still sitting in your body and we need to go together. So for me, it has been lately that, it, mm-hmm. you know, and we've done an Evox session and I tapped into her, which she's still like, because these are my 27 year old dreams, by the way. Yeah. And I feel like it's you in a conversation with her being like, almost like the exact same thing that you said about your daughters. I want... 27-year-old Diana to know how much I love her, how worthy she is of every single dream she has, and that I'm going to be by her side and help her fight for those dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the thoughts that I had at 27 about, you know, um, post-cancer are still the same things that I feel now and that are not being talked about and that I have so much to give and be of service. Nothing has changed in 17 years. And so, and here I am finally being surrounded by amazing people given permission to just fully fledge, go out and do it and Mm -hmm. do what you want to do. And that's not to say that I haven't done great things in the last, you know, couple years, but there is a huge hole in my soul that has not been filled. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to fill it, but I'm still in the process. Yeah. 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 Well, I love that you're saying there's still a lot of evox to do. <laughs> <laughs> there's always more. I mean, my community knows <laughs> no I evox myself every week. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that you're saying there's a community now. You've you've started to build that. And it's funny because earlier when we were talking about the box and being half in and half out, I just was getting this picture of like me and so many other people like outside the box, like reaching our hands in and pulling you out. Yeah. Like you're not alone. Yep. We're here. We want you to up level too. And yep. you've got a hand to hold and like, I'm going to be behind you, pushing you forward yeah. when you're trying to back up. And that's, and that's it. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, when you have people that surround your, you know, your your daily life that are wanting you to win, but also they're wanting you to tell the 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 story, the real story, the the thoughts, and and you know, um, you don't get to this point without having so many experiences, which I've 
had so many. I haven't shared them. I haven't done any of this. So I am ready to up level and ready to squash the survivor's guilt like you have no idea. And, you know, will I, will it always maybe be a little bit there? Maybe, but that is what I'm working through right now so that I can show up fully as who I was meant to be. And there is always this thing in the back of my head as well is you are here for a reason still and you have not yet accomplished it. Mm. And so you need to do it. Mm. You need to figure this out. You need to do it. Um, Sometimes it's get yourself together, get your shit together. <laughs> Sometimes it's as simple as that. And and continue, we talk about this so much, you and I, continue to find the resources that are going to allow you to do that. I think that is so much a part of your message and my message isn't, I magically had all the tools to become who I wanted to become. No, no it's especially in those moments where I was like, I am going through a storm I do not have everything I need to get through this, but I know this person does have some tools for me. I'm going to use them as a resource. I'm going to use them as nourishment. That is such an important thing to say. Um, I was really open. So I'm asking everyone to be super open to all healing modalities. Everything. Um... There's no right or wrong. It's what fits really well with you in that moment or in that season of your life. But tap into all of these phenomenal things because these are life skills at the end of the day, right? I've And I've said this to you, Leanne, is where I have done an evox session. I feel amazing because, you know, I feel amazing. But what I'm really, really like super excited about evox is that three months later, I'm going through a situation or a moment or a thought like a nasty trail of thoughts and I it's like automatically I remember my evox session and you know I'm like wait a minute wait a minute I you know settle in meditate think of whatever I need I'm releasing those thoughts same thing with breath work I love breath work because sometimes I just need to breathe it out mm-hmm. or the EFT, the tapping. Sometimes tapping is when I have a lot of anxiety, I'm ready to tap, tap, tap. You know, I'll do that. Um, and then talk. I'll never dismiss talk therapy if that is for you right now in this moment and season. Freaking do it. So one thing I do want to say, and I know I can share this with my because my daughter would not be. I put Alexandra in therapy at the age of seven years old when she found out that I had had breast cancer. So she was five when I had breast cancer the mm. first time. She did not realize what was happening to mommy. Mm-hmm. Of course. It did not hit her body until two years later. Mm-hmm. And I put her into therapy. And then, of course, that, you know, she has been in and out of therapy, you know, most of her life. We are such a proponent of finding whatever healing modality that you need that will help you with this life and build those skills. I'm also a big proponent of reading, reading self-help books. Sometimes that's, someone says something that you've heard from someone else, that other person said it this way, and boom, you're enlightened. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yoga, there's all the working out, there's all of those things that you have to just be open to trying it. 
I love it. Can you, on that note of other resources, were there any, particularly in the remission phases, when you were in that survivor's guilt, when you were in that hypervigilance, what were some resources that you found really helpful? Any particular books or speakers, individuals? Yeah, so I'm a big, I'm an avid reader. So I love to read. I think in 2018, um, when I was going through it, I was reading a million books. Like I was, I was, that's all I did was read. Read, sleep, and, you know, try to heal. Um, I am a huge fan of Marianne Williamson. Okay spiritual leader. I am a huge fan of hers. Um, I love her. If you really wanted tapping into your creative, Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm, okay. Okay. She's amazing. What are some of the specific books for, do you know the names? Oh my gosh. Otherwise I can look them up and put I a will in. send you a list and maybe okay. you can put them into the show notes. I'll do that. There's so many. Um, there's just, there's just so many. Okay. I, I promise you there's like a lot. But, you know, I, I loved anything that would create a trigger in my mind to rephrase a thought, mm-hmm. I just find helpful. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you hear, you see, it's the same thing over and over, but there are just some people, you know, um, that just make me feel better. You know, I'm also a woman, like I, you know, I pray a lot and that is one of the modalities that I use for myself, um, that have really, really, really helped and get me grounded and centered. Here's another person who, if you're, if you like guided meditations, her name is Sarah Blondin. Okay. Okay. I cannot tell you, I hope that one day. I get to meet this woman. Mm. She honestly saved my life in 2018. Wow. In the moments of despair. Like I'm on my knees, despair. Her guided meditations is life. Ugh. Pure life. Pure life. So look her up, Sarah Blondin. She's on... Um, I mean, she's everywhere. I'll make sure we link her. Link, link her. her. She's amazing. And I like guided meditations because mm-hmm. <laughs> my brain sitting in silence, um, <laughs> maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I'll, I'll send a, you know, resource list yeah. of like all the things, but I would say a lot of reading, meditation. Yeah. I love that. Well, I'll get that list and then I'll make sure that we add it in yeah. below because I'm sure there'll be a couple additional ones that come to your mind as you're oh, creating that. I know, as I'm driving in the car and... Why did I say that? (laughs) Well, I just love you so much. Thank you. And I know we could talk for hours and hours and hours, as we do. Yep. Very often. Yep. (laughs) As we do. But thank you so much for being willing to share that, first of all, with me, but also with this greater audience. And I just can't wait to hear some of the feedback from this because I think it's so needed. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 